work. Yep. Yep. So anyway, um, we kind of started earlier. Um, we'll, we'll touch on it again without the articles, but, um, I'll have dad, I'll give you, get your thoughts real quick. Um, again, um, for the second time is the charm type of thing here on, um, the BC, BCHL, AJHL, um, thing again, or to recap what I said, um, apparently that there's no contract that has been signed yet. Um, and apparently the AJ is wanting clarification, um, as to what's going on. And so, yeah, so what we know so far is that there were, there have been five teams in the Alberta junior league that have been in talks with the BC junior, junior a, if you're not familiar, uh, those five teams have been in discussion with going over and joining the BCHL next fall in the fall of 24. Alberta junior league didn't know anything about it. There's been nothing signed, no agreement in place. And yet the word leaked out apparently from the BCHL that all this was going on. So now those five teams have been suspended from play for the time being far from the AJ. They are not in in firm standing with next fall's uh, schedule in the BC. So there's five teams and a hundred kids in some sort of limbo uh, for their careers, some of which will not, you know, may not play again. So it's, uh, I, I think it, they'll it's just, a, it's a silly mistake to leak all that out mid season. Yeah. That's, I, that's think, I think, that, I think they will join the BC. I think the mistake here is that things have leaked out before before anything was finalized, but I, yeah. I do think it will get finalized. It's just a matter of when. So, yeah. and then yeah. that'll be a complete restructuring. Poorly handled. For travel in the BC. Yeah. Um, so anyway, touch on that. Moving on. Uh, trade deadline is, of, is um, March 8th. So that's six or seven weeks away. Um, into the all-star break now. Um, any thoughts, rumors, predictions, anything like that that anybody wants to throw out there, they can. Owen, what do you, uh, what do you hear? Uh, I don't know. I was kind of hoping one of you guys would go first, actually. <laughs> well, we've already seen a, a couple things come to mind. I like the Parisi pickup in Colorado. I think that's a really good low risk depth guy who still has game. He can, for check, he can face, he can win face-offs, he can kill penalties, and he can occasionally score when he's with the right guys. And he is a no-risk addition. Uh, I didn't like the Lindholm idea. He would be too long-term and too expensive. Uh, the other too expensive for a rental. That's oh, way too expensive for a rental. And the other, the other question uh, all over the league right now is if you have a goaltender that you can move that's got decent term. Uh, or that will doesn't have a, a no move clause. If you're a goaltender right now, you're you're king of the NHL because there are at least four or five contenders that are needing a minimum of a backup goaltender, and not at the deadline. There there are teams that if they wait that long, whether it's Toronto or Colorado or anybody else, you wait till the deadline to pick up a goaltender. You may be you may have already burned up your your starter or played yourself into a wild card or worse. So goaltenders need to be moving quickly. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of them out there. No. No. The rumored Plus one the, right now is the rumored one is Flurry. Uh, the rumor is the Avalanche are in on him. Yeah. Again, my question would be with anything, even with like Lindholm or anything like that, would what's the ask? Um, especially given um, – Flurry would be a rental based on his age and based on all those things. Right. Uh, you can't you can't ask much of anything. For, you can't you can't expect McFarland to hemorrhage their pipeline or no or their no, depth nobody, or their depth for for a guy who's going to play a quarter of a season. Uh, right. But Flurry, based on age, based on things, would probably be less pricey than Merzlikens or anybody else. So. There's that, but it, sure. again, it depends on what the ask is. It depends on who's asking for him. I think the ask would use him differently than Toronto would. Right. He, he would fit in perfectly in Colorado because he's done 
Uh, he's done the end of the year. It, you know, if, if Minnesota would have no issue keeping his salary for the remainder of this season, wouldn't cost anybody a thing. And he's a proven winner and he's healthy and he would fit, he would fit right in. He'd be ideal here. Right now, he's he's what Colorado's missing. Then, if yeah. that's the case. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, do you think Toronto sits on wall and Samsonov until then? or I do. I, I think I mean, they've got a few weeks to kind of make a choice. Otherwise, they might lose out on an option. Yeah. I, I My guess is with, with both with Samsonov looking like he's starting to return to form and with so wall being – games. Right. He's <laughs> – I guess if you're a Leaf fan, you call two games a trend. Uh, Wall is supposedly two weeks away, and they've had real steady play out of Marty Jones. So I would expect their cap situation that they don't do anything. But we'll, well see. in their situation with all the money they spent and kind of being in their now window, is that really the trio you want to go in with? A, a Russian who hasn't proved himself and has been waves. Uh, a kid who has a few playoff games under his belt from last season, and then Jones, uh, an aging waiver wire guy. I don't know. Well, the, as we we talked about off camera uh, over the last week or two, the three of us, you never know who's going to suddenly turn into Aiden Hill or Matt Murray a few years ago or Anti Niemi 10 years ago in Chicago or. Corey Crawford or somebody. I mean, these are none of these guys. The only uh, Holtby had one good year. Uh, the um, Darcy Kemper here in Colorado had one good year. These are not all of these guys, with the exception of maybe Jonathan Quick over the last 15 years. All these guys came out of nowhere. And who's to say who the next one of those characters is? So, well, you're also you're also saying it's also the team in front of them. Over, yeah, for sure. So, like, I love Kemper, and I will always have a soft spot for him, backstop in the ass to a Stanley Cup. But objectively, I mean, he, he stood on his head, but he struggled in Arizona, comes, wins a cup in Colorado, and then has almost played himself out of a starting role in Washington. And they're terrible. So, I mean, it, it it's it's not to be an absolute with goaltending, like you and I have gone back and forth um, based on um, different conversations and things we've had, but you also you also can't you also can't just put it all on the goaltender either because a, a lot of the team in front of them has has to do with it. We've how many times in the last month have we talked about the shot chart? Every week it's the shot chart. Well, how many times was growing up did we did we you know did the team in front of Owen not necessarily make him look good, but the second his his partner gets in net, we we win six to two. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I vividly remember those types of conversations and frustrating moments as a family, and and these moments of like what happens when Owen gets in net, and then when when his his guy gets in net during our years at Foothills or whatever, all of a sudden we can't be stopped. So it's. It's, it's play. It's, it's the team in front of him. It's the goaltender stopping the pucks that he can. It's all these things. So it's not an all or nothing one way or the other. So, and that's why that's why it's tough. My position would be: don't break the bank. Well, Try to exactly. find a guy who is going to come in and win you a cup because you never know. We everybody thought that was going to be Samsonov. Well, exactly. It like it might be Georgiev in Colorado this year, but. And that's, but that's agreed. That's why you have to be careful with what you do because, you know, um, you have one bad stretch and then you trade your goaltender and then he does, he does for another team, what Kemper did, for example, in Colorado. And then the guy you traded him for, or the guy that comes in and fills in once you, once you get rid of him now can't stop a beach ball and you're out of a playoff spot. So you gotta be, I don't don't think there's a lot of goalies out there that are very costly in terms of what teams would have to give up, they might make a lot of money. I don't think there's a lot of goalies out there that teams are going to be clamoring over. I think if if Hart hadn't had to take a leave of absence, I thought maybe Philadelphia would be able to mortgage Urson for a high price yeah. because he's playing really well and he makes no money. 
and teams would probably pay a lot for that. But he was the only guy I kind of saw in that position. I think any other goalie on the market, whether it be Corpusello, Merzlikens, Gibson, those are all high cap hits. Yeah. Those are, those are going to be teams that they're not going to have to pay much for if they're going to get them because their cap is so high. Because the cap is high, correct. You want to trade for Gibson in, in New Jersey, you're going to have to hope Anaheim retains salary. Yeah. Or take them at full for cheap. I mean, it's so there's not a lot of, I don't think there's a, a high goalie market right now. That's no, exactly the transaction. Either you either you get in for practically nothing, a conditional pick, a conditional middle round pick, or you pay more for him in terms of a pick or a higher pick or a prospect, but that's only if Anaheim retains salary. The the only goaltender that is almost a guarantee to move is Merzlikens. And that's only be, only because his trade request has been made very public. Right. Like it's very yeah, public that he's value. not happy and he wants out. So it sure does. It hurts his value, but it, it hurts his value, but it also it it also puts him at the top of the goalie market in terms of not a guarantee, but the most likely goaltender to be on the move. Especially if Columbus continues the, Yeah. Especially if Columbus continues the trend of being at the bottom of the league. Now they just throw him in on as part of their their sellout and rebuild process. But stop me when this sounds familiar in Columbus. Yeah. So I don't know. What do you, what, what would you, if you're New Jersey, what do you give for Merzlikens right now? I think Vanacek has to be involved if New Jersey is going to make a trade for a goalie because they don't, because of their cap situation. True. I mean, unless unless they want to pay more for a team to re- to retain, like we were talking about. But and I was just looking at that. I mean, Ranchek has another year at three point four. So I think if they're going to trade for a goalie like Merzlikens or Gibson with a cap hit, he's going to have to go or get waived. Well, right for purposes of contract buyout. Yeah. Is uh, how heavy is Carolina? Seems to have a carload of goaltenders, and none of them can play, or none of them can stay healthy. What do you do there? Are they in the market? I don't know because they have so many, but yeah, they, they're always hurt. Yeah. I think the question, I think the question with a lot of teams, especially your contending teams that would, would potentially be in the market for a one B backup goaltender is the cap situation. I mean, what, what do you do with the cap? Somebody's got to, somebody, somebody with, with, a pretty good cap hit has either got to be moved as part of the deal or waived is well, yeah. The, and, and there's almost, there is nobody in contention that has any space right now. No. There's not a team that in the, that's in a playoff position right now that has an abundance of cap no. that, that can do anything that, that doesn't have to do salary out for salary in. I think a team that needs to, to make to do something is New Jersey because they're playing behind New York and Philadelphia, and they after the season they had last year, their expectations are high. Yeah, I think they need to they need to figure out something. Their goaltenders are not figuring it out. And if you want to go to the shot chart or even just numbers, they don't they don't give up a ton of shots uh, on average per game, and their goalies are their their stats are above three and below 90 yeah and nico dawes isn't going to be the i mean like you said you never know but i don't think the 23 year old you know guy with very little experience is, is going to be is going to carry them through the playoffs i think they need to i think they need to make a move they got plenty of pipeline yeah they, that's that's really on the hot seat that's um they're not in a win now situation because everybody is so young and and has such good term uh, in their core group, but they, they, that would be a perfect fit for a long-term goaltender like a Merzlikens or, or well, they're, in, they're in a playoff now they need to get in, like they might, maybe not next, expected to win the cup, but they need to get into playoffs and get some experience so that when their guys like Jack Hughes and them are 24, 25, 26, they're, they've been there. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think Vanacek is going to take them deep, not in that division. So, guys, speaking of goaltenders, uh, 
I I'm looking at I'm looking at teams that have backup problems and are in a literally in a cup winning situation and only have one goaltender and that's Tampa, Colorado probably, uh, maybe Vancouver, L.A. LA for LA, sure. L.A. might not even have one. Yeah. Well, they might not even have one, and and the trend they're going, and I'm not. I try to not be an all or nothing guy, but the trend they're going. If they don't, kind of like New Jersey, if L.A. doesn't do something sooner rather than later, to the point where I would say don't wait for the deadline, is they will find themselves very quickly from where they were to start the year, which was a favorite in the Pacific at the top of the division, to out of a playoff spot. Like right now, they are clinging to the first wild card, and if, but if they don't shore up some of the, some of their issues, one of which being goaltending, Cam Talbot and David Riddick, for crying out loud, if they don't figure out a way to to shore that up, right, then they they may find themselves on the outside looking in very very quickly. Well, Edmonton's in the same situation. I mean, that you would you could make a case that they might be make a playoff run or a cup run, but how far is Stuart Skinner? Is he the guy? Is he the new Aiden Hill? What? And they don't have a backup. I mean, Calvin, Calvin Pickard won a game for him this week, but from well, that's where? part of the conversation I had in one of my group chats yesterday was that's the one hole that I see right now for Edmonton. Um, yep. I know Owen doesn't, Owen's not a big Edmonton fan, but, but out of objectivity, that's the one hole I see. Um, one of the conversations I had was, was that right now they are doing, they are doing what they've lacked since McDavid's been in the league. And that is they have proper depth and secondary scoring. Yep. To the point point where, to the point where McDavid is top 10 in scoring, but he's ninth. And miles shy of Kucherov and McKinnon, like that type of thing. But that's what you want. Absolutely. I've always said that. That's what you want. You want McDavid to blend in and you want him to maybe not necessarily win the heart trophy, for the sake of secondary scoring and depth. And they are finally getting that in Edmonton. The only question right now, since we're on, since today seems to be the, the goaltending topic, the only question is whether or not Stuart Skinner and their goaltending can hold up. Well, I think, I think there's only one team in the NHL that's contending right now that doesn't have to worry about either goaltender they have. Rangers? Boston. Boston. I, I I don't have that, I'd have no concerns if, for the Rangers either. Who's the, well? Yeah, quick. Yeah, I mean, Quick's been. You obviously rely on his pedigree, but he, you know, and his his season's been a lot better this year than they have been, than they have been in the past. But he had a couple of he had a couple of years there where you know he wasn't. Uh, if if Quick can long, find if if Jonathan yeah, Quick, you could, you could throw them up there, but that's about. And they're certainly not going to be looking for one. I mean, you can they're they're. Those are two teams that that are like, well, we're not. I'd say thinking about goalies. I think everyone else should be thinking about at least a backup or a starter. I think everyone has that yeah. at least one of those needs. If Jonathan, if Dallas is looking, they might be. Uh, if yeah, if Jonathan know, Quick, would, if Jonathan I mean, that's Quick. another scenario where it's like he could play, but is Wedgwood going to be the answer if Ottinger goes down? I think I think Dallas becomes a lot weaker the same way Vancouver does Pittsburgh. There's, there's a lot of contending teams that there's a lot that, of teams that go way down when their backup starts playing, whether he's capable of playing or not. I don't think a, there, yeah, there's a know. number of contending teams that the second, you know, the second that Ottinger, Georgie in Colorado, anybody anybody like this goes down, you've got a major, major question. I mean, and, and even even, even Georgie, yeah. even Georgie has been, you know, has the most wins of any goaltender in the league, but he's been inconsistent. So right. it, it's Frankie. Frankie went six and zero when nice. when the Avs won. Yeah. I mean, he was huge for them. Normally, yeah. normally so, you want your backup goaltender to play twenty or twenty five games through the regular season, get you into the playoffs with a rested number one. But if you are Dallas or the Jets or the Flyer or I'm sorry, not, um, the Rangers, you're looking at your goaltending, and well, you know. We're okay if we have to, if Brossois has to win a series for us in Winnipeg, he can do that. I'm not concerned. I'm not concerned about New York's goaltending if 
if Quick can find the level of play that won him multiple Stanley Cups in L.A., if he can be remotely consistent that way as Shesterkin's backup, the New York Rangers, to me, are one of, if not the favorite in the East for me. But they, but he has to find that. If he's remotely inconsistent like we've seen the past six, seven years, especially when it matters, especially when they need him to win some games so, so Shesterkin can rest down the stretch, now all of a sudden you're, you're looking at New York dropping a bit. And you're you're, yeah. you're you're facing some questions. So, Quick's consistency is is the tell all about what what New York looks like going into the playoffs. Oh, and you know this better than anybody. Quickie's got a major major chip on his shoulder this year, and he has not. You know, a happy goaltender is way easier to hit, and he is really really excited this year about playing behind Shesterkin in New York, and you can tell. Yeah. Yeah. The, the question to play behind that defense too. Yeah. Yeah. The one it's his hometown. I mean, that's. I mean, he's obviously from Connecticut, but he grew up a Ranger fan. So, yeah. I mean, that has a lot to do with his happiness as well. Yeah. So the the one the proof in all this is in Tampa. Right. You're you're seeing what happens after how many years of consistent contending play from Vasilevsky as well as no quality backup. You're seeing what happens in Tampa when, when some holes start, start to come through. Vasilevsky's got injuries. He's, he's has some inconsistencies, whatever else. And now you've got to rely on, on Johansson. Jonas Johansson. So it, to the point where t- Tampa may not make the playoffs. I mean, it's yeah. that's, so it, that's well, that kind of that kind of segues into another point of of a team in that same division that could get hot and bump Tampa out, but they don't have any goaltending is Detroit. Yeah, I mean, you can't really count on Lyon. I mean, maybe you can. He had a good run last year in, in Florida, but. I thought Russo and Russo and, and Reimer are the other options. That's not uh, it doesn't instill a lot of confidence. No, and I never believed in them at the beginning. They, I think, they punched over their weight class uh, all season long. Good for them. The they're trending. They're trending really in the right well. direction. They're trending in the right but direction, but they're, they're just another not there team yet. that needs a long term guy. Buffalo, New Jersey, Detroit. All uh, there's quite a few teams that need to go out and and secure a long term a starter goaltender a, a, a corpus Salo or a nurse Leakins or somebody that's going to be around for a few years because they're built for it. Yeah. I think Gibson needs to move. Definitely. Well, he's, he's rumored to be moving. It's just a matter of where. What do you see? Uh, do you hear anything on the ground Owen about what he's, what his, what their plans are for him? He's got a pretty strict, no, no move. Yeah. And I don't hear anything. No, no rumblings. According to Elliot Friedman, New Jersey has asked about him. Yeah. Whether whether that whether that means it's happening, whether there's any validity to a move like that, obviously you can't say that. But you know, I think Elliot Friedman has been. They send Vanacek back to play with Dosal. Yeah. And Anaheim uh, retains the difference between their salaries for this year, the remaining of this year and next year to finish out Banachek's contract. And then after that, Gibson's only got two years and then New Jersey can take over his full 6.4 for the final two and figure out their cap then. But that would, that's the only way it would work now. They've got 400,000 in cap. So they would need to acquire him for, for no cost. And the best way to do that is to send 3.4 back. Right. Anaheim retains three for this year and next, and then maybe you send Vanacek and you know Vanacek in a third or something like that for Gibby and, and the retention. And Anaheim's happy to to shed. They can stick Vanacek behind Dostal if they want because he's ready to go. They're not worried about cap. They can let him go at the end of his contract after next year, and they're happy to get Gibson on his way to somewhere in the East nearby where he's from, and not where they have to play against him and stuff like that. So, right. 
Well, the big news, uh, I guess, the, the goaltender market really shifted when Mrazek uh, was no longer available, right? Oh, when he signed for the massive deal. Yeah, for <laughs> something. Mrazek. Um, but... I don't know why they, someone didn't try to figure out a three-way deal. Sorry, I just, I don't know, with Chicago there, obviously, if they're they're hungry to send money, you know, they could have they worked a three-way to, to send a goalie there to retain some cap and then you know, Chicago moves him on to the team that they're meant to have. And yeah, you know, that would have been a good option, but yeah, go ahead. Sorry about that. Could you, could you see, um, Edmonton going after, uh, Elias Lindholm? No, no. With any credibility? No. The, no. the more credible, the more credible Lindholm rumor to me would be Boston. Edmonton's in a tough spot because they have nothing to send. They don't have a decent prospect. They don't have, and they've, they've spent so many, how many more years are they going to go without a decent pick? I mean, yeah. So they're, they're, in a, they're in a position now where they have to rely on what they have. Yeah. Calgary's not going to move him to their neighbor. No. And uh, Lindholm to Boston is more credible to me. Yeah. Um, they need a center iceman with Bergeron gone. Uh, Krejci gone. They need that. That's one of Boston's holes, especially especially if we can say that their goaltending tandem is the tandem in the league. Yep. Um, the one place what that you, yeah, exactly. What do they? What do they? Well, exactly. What's the ask? What do they send? But aside from like, the, the aside from the details of what they have to give up, Lindholm being a quality center iceman, middle six center iceman would be would fill a. a that hole pretty well in Boston with exception of what they'd have to give up. Boston doesn't have a pick in the first three rounds this year. Not one. No, it would have to be, it would have to be like Patra and, and a future pick. Right. Because Patra's their best NHL ready prospect. He's also a center. Calgary could bring him along. They are, have to be someone like him. They are depleted. And that that's why I've been questioning them all year long again for the 19th time. Love Jim Montgomery, love Marshan, Pasternak, Charlie Coyle, all of them. But that their depth is so fragile. If anything happens, uh, they just don't they got no. There's nobody in the system and nobody in the pipeline. Well, they look a bit like Pittsburgh did a few years ago, where mm -hmm. guys like no name guys are are. Just in, night in and night out playing like regular roster guys. Yeah. I mean, you can put Charlie Coyle. Coyle's got great numbers this year. I know. He's not He's not a first-line center, but he's playing up there with him. Uh, I, don't know what they're, I don't know what they're doing, but they're getting a lot out of the little. They're just... I thought they'd take a huge decline, and they're still the best team in the league again this year. I, I mean, know. But by, by record, I don't think they're the best, but by record, they are. Right. And, I, I you know, you've got to salute... Monty for that, just like Rick Tockett in Vancouver, um, taking a you know what may be a B plus system and and roster and making A's. Up. The difference I think is there's a few teams in the league that rely solely on a few guys. Tampa, right? Stamkos, Utrecht, Point, Colorado, Ranton, McKinnon, McCarr, uh, Toronto, Edmonton, yeah, Toronto, and then Boston doesn't. I mean, they yeah, they've got Pasternak, who's top, I think three. But other than that, they got a bunch of thirty-eight to forty-point guys that are all sharing the load. Oh yeah, and it's a, it's just a different dynamic to success than you see in a lot of other. There's not a lot of other teams that that do that. Totally. A lot of teams, a lot of contending teams have their big guns. Dallas, I think, is a team that spreads it out a little bit. But Dallas Boston spreads it out a little bit. Strange case in that way. Absolutely. Dallas spreads it out a little bit. Edmonton has been spreading it out so far this year. Um, and as the year goes on, more and more guys produce in Colorado, which is nice. But you do need – you do – I think to that point, I think part of what's um, contributed to the longevity of the success of the Boston Bruins is that no matter who you plug in that lineup, they produce. Right. So – To the point where – to the point where um, – when was the last time you could actually say in Boston that they had a superstar? Well, I mean, other than Pasternak, you yeah. kind of have to kind of you have to include Pasternak as, as that. Sure. And, and I'm not undercutting him as a superstar, but my point is 
the superstar, the level of a McDavid or a McKinnon or somebody like that, that just ran away with it. Like that would, if, if that the team went as he went type of thing. And that's not how Boston is as much as a superstar as Pasternak is that you can point to 12 forwards and they get 10 plus goals a year, every single forward. Like they make it impossible to game plan. Yeah. They're, I would like to see what they're like with Pasternak hurt. He doesn't miss any time. He's barely missing any time. We don't know what that, we don't know what Boston's like without him in their lineup. Yep. Yeah. So here's a, I got a, I got a list of teams here that it, it keeps getting longer and longer guys. I just want to get your opinion on this. They're not trending up. They're not rebuilding. They're not getting better. They are in what we call no man's land. And, and that's, that's just, yeah, they're in total limbo, Washington, Minnesota, Pittsburgh, the Islanders, Calgary, St. Louis, Seattle, LA. And based on their trend right now, you, you know, can is LA trending up or are they kind of st- are they kind of stuck? I have seen them play so scary good this year, just stifling defense and and impossible to get to get deep against. So I, I still like them. I know they're slumping a little right now. I credit that to the dog days of winter, but that that's sure. I, I, I guess the question with I that would be contender. I guess the question with that with a team like LA is is the slump they're in a typical slump teams go through, or is it more indicative of something else? No, I, th- I think it's just what you see, you know, and everybody panics every January, February. Oh my gosh, we've lost four out of six. What are we gonna do? We got to get rid of this guy, we gotta fire that guy. I, I there's I would have zero panic in LA right now. Where I would have questions and and going on down the list is what's Carolina going to do? What and they're they're a contender, but they're just they've been unable to really uh, launch this year. Nashville, another limbo team, and, what, and what I does, still can't figure out what what the Buffalo Sabers are doing wrong. No, uh, what does what does Bill Guerin do in Minnesota? Yeah, Ottawa's another good question. They've got so much young talent, though. Mm-hmm. Ottawa. And, and Minnesota, Evan, I, to answer your question, um, yes, I, I like what Ottawa has. They're not obviously doing it this year, but this has been a horrible year for those kids with the Pinto problem, then Dorian getting axed for the Dadenoff trade, uh, change in ownership last summer, and... Then and then a coaching change on top of it all midseason. So I just it's been a lot for them to handle. I think next year we're gonna I'm gonna have to start hating them again. But uh, to answer your question about Minnesota, I I generally like their core. Uh, they've got a they they're pretty solid. They need they need a they need a little bit better. Uh, I guess Brock Faber on defense is a guy that they're going to be going to, but. I, this is just a team that is not going to be really good. They're not going to be really bad. They're going to be drafting in the middle of the round. I don't know what they do. That's kind of my point is they've been drafting in the middle of the round now for 10 years. Yeah. Or middle eight. I mean, the last time, the last time you could credibly say that they were scary and maybe even a threat was, was 13, 14. Yeah. Yeah. Two couple of years ago, they were. I think the the year the Avs won the cup, they were right there at the end, competing yeah. for the division. Yeah. They were right there at the end. What I mean, what I'm guess I'm getting at is like consistently throughout the year, they were scary good. Like they were top top throughout the year. Exactly. And since and since then, with exception of a few moments in seasons since then, they've been a middle team. And so, I, what I'm getting at, whether whether we actually want to talk about it and speculate on it or it's rhetorical is what does what does bill garen do because at some point the i like this core doesn't work anymore at no. some point you've got to trend one direction or the other because that gives your team an identity you're trending this way you know you're competing you're contending or you're going this way you know you're rebuilding and you've got high draft picks and whatever else and they're not doing that and so at some point you got think- you got to pick a lane yeah I think they're in a unique position 
um, because they're kind of a middle road team, but they have they've done okay in prospects. Guys like Baldy and Rossi and Faber. Those guys are all effective and they're all under twenty three. Uh, you know, they've got I don't know Yurov. Um, who did they take? They've got somebody else I'm, I'm not thinking of. Uh, they have, they're in, if they mortgage their pieces okay in in down years like this where they might not make it and turn Flurry into a decent maybe mid round pick or something if you retain his cap or you know whatever pieces you're going to move they they might be able to kind of bypass a full rebuild with some of the core under twenty three that they already have without being at the bottom of the league. Somebody, what what you what I always look at on a roster is if I've got a Kaprizov and I've got a young Boldy and I've got a couple of other pieces that look really sturdy. I've got some great role players like Hartman and and uh, and um, oh, I'm drawing a blank on him now. Um, John Merrill, Brodine. I mean, these are these are sturdy guys. But I want to see somebody coming along that I can point to in a year or so that's going to be a star. He's going to be a top pair defenseman. He's going to be a top three, top six forward. And I don't see it in their system. Maybe I'm wrong. But somebody's got to emerge or these teams or teams like this or the Capitals and the other ones that we just talked about. They just keep getting more mediocre every year. Well, yeah, it's just tough for them because Kaprizov in his age, he's what, 27? Yeah. I mean, and he's got a lot of years left on his deal. You're not going to want to just, you know, fumble around the middle of the standings for the rest of his deal. Right. You don't have a lot to, to mortgage to bring superstars into play with him. So I think what you need to do is you have to be smart with your tools. And I think a situation like with Wallstead and Net, who's playing well in the A, shed, shed flurry yep. to a contender for no money. Someone will pay a lot for him. If they don't, if they're if three point five is retained, if they get them for free, right? And you can use you can use pieces like that to to try to kind of retool. I mean, Zuccarello is getting old. Yep. You know, if you're not gonna you're not gonna win, maybe move him to a as a rental. I mean, just try to retool because otherwise you're gonna have to deal Kaprizov soon when you when you get to the bottom. Like the Islanders may have to with Barzal if they go down. Yep. So. There's there's a lot of that, and that's the worst place to be. I would rather I would rather be rebuilding my roster from the bottom up, you know, burn it down the way Sackick did in Colorado, the way uh, the way the Maple Leafs did it years ago, burn it to the ground and start over with you know first overall pick or first you know a top three pick or two, and and start rebuild it that's that's an okay place to be the fan base understands it it's an exciting place to to be which is what ottawa did over the last five years but being in the middle is just it's the worst it's the absolute worst place to find yourself agreed agreed um we'll finish we'll finish on everybody's favorite topic the future of the league when it comes to the rumors about Utah. They, the league would, the league loves to expand because the price tag is now a billion dollars. The board of governors loves it. The league loves it. Everybody gets rich off of it, but they, I, I can't imagine you can't, you can't expand by one. So you'd have to put one in the East, one in the West. I can't imagine wanting to expand when you've got a problem like Phoenix still floating around. And well, what I what I've heard the reason I ask Phoenix has until uh, until the next board of governors meeting to fix the stadium problem, or they have to look at moving. Well, that's part of the reason I asked. Sensible option. That's not to say the NHL will go down that route. No. Uh, I I Salt Lake would probably be a great host. Yeah. But not at the cost of expansion. Are we going to have 48 teams by 2050? I mean, I just, I don't, I get it from a money standpoint, maybe, but it just doesn't, it's like, I just, uh, it's annoying to me to think about going through another expansion and it just doesn't. Well, if, if you think like me as a fan of the game, I would say, leave, if, no, I, I agree with you. I would say, leave it alone for right now. Let it settle. If you, you think got, about it, you've got parity, they're, they're, you've got balance, you've got symmetry between East and West. Well, exactly. So if you think about it, that there was a purpose to Vegas and Seattle. 
because once Detroit moved to the east, mm-hmm. there was 16 in the east and 14 in the west. So expansion made sense if you can get viable markets for it, because now you've got eight teams per division and 16 per conference. Right. You're aligned perfectly now. Perfect line. So, so what it creates, what it creates then is unfortunately, if money keeps being made from it, whether we like it or not, if they go down the expansion route, what it creates then is not just one new expansion team. It creates two at the least, if not four. It should to create make, four. To make everything symmetrical again. Yep. Right. So, so, so expand the playoffs? That, well, they'll, they'll have to. So they'll either have to expand the playoffs or do what you're seeing in the NBA, which is a play-in tournament for or whatever, the more they expand. I don't like it either. I'm not saying I like it. I'm just throwing out the, the different nuances to it. The other, so the part of the reason I mention it though, is there are rumors that since they are going to continue discussions with this group in Utah, there's rumors that there is more issues than what we're hearing about right now with the potential new arena in Arizona. So the thought is that if they are bent on getting a, if this um, husband wife owner duo who owns the Utah jazz um, is serious and wants a team in Utah, that maybe they get to the point of, that Arizona moves up and moves up to Utah. Now you do that relocation wise, it, it still keeps things symmetrical because now you can now Utah can now still be in the central and it keeps divisions and conferences. It alleviates travel a bit too. Yeah. yeah. Cause now, now instead of maybe a plane ride, the avalanche take a bus ride out to salt Lake type of well, type of thing. It's a long bus through the mountains, but yeah, they, they make more sense. Yeah. Okay. Geographically, Utah makes more sense than Phoenix. From an ownership standpoint, they make 100% more sense than Phoenix because that ownership group is very serious about wanting to be in the NHL, and Bettman's office loves them. He wants to be in business with the two of them yep. uh, in, in Utah. So I see this happening if, if Phoenix doesn't have a rock-solid 20,000 seat arena deal in a good place in the next 60 days. I see Utah. But and they have it. They have Utah just, has Utah has an established arena with the Utah Jazz. Mm-hmm. So now all you do is you do it with anybody else. And now you, you interchange the basketball court with the ice surface and you share an arena between the Jazz and whatever you call the Utah team. And and it's already got an eighteen to twenty thousand seat arena. It's already got this and that. It's already got a fan base. It's already got owners that are that want to see it and want it and, and are in on it. So, from a relocation standpoint, I dare I say I'm on board. Where I you get very where you where you get nuanced and whatever is the second you go. No, I want thirty one owners to continue to prop up the Coyotes. <laughs> But I, but then I want a billion dollars from the owners in Utah to add yet another team. Yeah. Now, not I only do, do, now not only does I that do make do. it non-symmetrical again, but you know it creates the potential for expanded playoffs, which nobody likes, and all these different things. So, from a relocation standpoint, I'm okay with Utah. I do. I do still think there are hockey fans in Arizona. Yeah. They've just fumbled the way they've handled the organization. There's plenty of hockey fans down there. I think I, I, if they're going to move the NHL team out, you know, maybe you can move an AHL, put an AHL team for Salt Lake to share an arena with a Arizona State or something like that, and then they can still have pro hockey. I'd like to see Arizona move into the NCAA. You know, like I think there's still hockey to be had down there, but yeah. maybe it's time to move on from the NHL franchise. You know, exactly. you can put Salt Lake's AHL team down there. Yep. I couldn't agree more. There are fans there. It's it, it, there's plenty of demographic to support it, but they they fiddled around for 15 years out in Tempe, where nobody wants to go except the snowbirds from from uh, Alberta and BC. That you know, filled, Tempe's where Tempe's where they are. Tempe's where the hockey are, fans are. Scottsdale's where they are. Yeah. Uh, what's what's the name of the town out there? Uh, Glendale. 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 Yeah. Yeah. 
Hey, uh, before we before we check out, what's um, is everybody in agreement that Gallagher got the right number, or should he have gotten more? What do you think? I think it's the right number. I think it's the right number. Yeah. It's not it's not the type of play that you and I had talked about, Dad. Um, between Zucker and Cousins, yeah. um, that's the type of play where where on paper watching it, you could say, "What is Zucker doing?" And, and, and everything, um, from a officiating protect the players standpoint, you can argue that you're, you're with Zucker and what he did. Um, but the Gallagher hit that that's the type of uncalled for thing, um, yeah. that needs to be addressed. And so that's absolutely to me, that's- to me, that's where, that's where it's okay. Is five games reasonable? Is it not? And um, I think there's a difference between agitating around the net and throwing an open ice hit to somebody's head like that. That is, that is Rafi Torres, Matt cook. And the reason as we said last week, the reason that Nick cousins got plastered by Zucker, they should have given Zucker an award for doing that because cousins is an absolute rat and nobody's ever done anything about him. So the league, if the league's not going to protect you from a guy like cousins, then Jason Zucker will. And good for him for doing that. He should have hit him harder. Yeah. So yeah, I agree. Yeah. So I I like the five games in part because if I have my facts correct, Gallagher's track record is is not filled with suspensions. No, he's an agitator around the net. There's a big difference. So five games for that type of hit to me fits. Um, if he had that kind of repu- that kind of Tom Wilson reputation then I'd argue that five games is not enough, but. I guess yeah. maybe the league is, is lucky that Brendan Gallagher isn't six, four and two thirty five, or he'd be a lot more destructive than he is at five, eight. Agreed. Agreed. So anyway, uh, any other thoughts that anybody wants to finish with before we finish up? I'm looking forward to not watching uh, the all-star festivities. I might check in on the, uh, on the, uh, skills competition. Um, and again, I I've had to readjust my thinking on the all-star game. It's not a game. It's a, it's a carnival and they, they do a nice job of entertaining, but it is well, it's, just, it's, it's Cirque du Soleil. It should, the, it should be in the summertime. Yeah. Well, it's, it's trans in the off season. Players might yeah. actually want to go. Yeah. You can make a better, bigger time out of it. You know, that's a great idea. Why not have it? Have it someplace fun. Have it someplace in Vegas or something like that in the summertime, where it's, it's in line with what it. it's in line with what you training camp. Yep, it's in line with what the transition you're seeing in the NFL with their Pro Bowl stuff. Yeah, there's no full pad games anymore. If you watch that, they're playing flag football and just kind of dancing around and just kind of high fiving and you know having a good time. You well, know, cool. so. Um, you know, in that regard, I I'm okay with the festivities because you can send your players without worrying about injuries or without, you know, fatigue or without anything like that. And, and all that stuff. The only thing I would say is along the lines in agreement is just move it. Give, if you want this break, give them this week break of just a break and then move the all, the all-star festivities to, the summertime. Exactly. That's, that was, that's why that, I think that's such a great idea Owen, because this puts a strain on an already strained schedule, trying to squeeze 82 games in. It's, uh, it's plus, it creates, plus in the summertime, it creates the potential for um, revenue and eyeball competition, if you will, with, with baseball and these other sports, because now you've got, You've got hockey at the forefront with fans to re-engage the fans before the season. Right. That's why they used to have the World Cup in August and September, mostly September, because it created it created juice when there wasn't yep. any. Yeah. So Good anyway, stuff, guys. appreciate it. Thanks yeah. everybody for joining. Yep. Fingers uh, fingers crossed that after the All Star break, Edmonton hits a losing skid. Of course, wouldn't be it wouldn't be you without a parting shot or two like that, eh? Parise's debut after the All Star break. We'll see what Edmonton does. 
lot to look forward to. So yeah, we'll be good. Hey, you guys are going to have to pick up the slack when I'm gone for a couple of weeks. So uh, get the audio figured out and um, you guys got to carry the, carry the torch for me. Yes. You, you poor guy, <laughs> poor guy in your retirement travels. Everybody needs to take retirement advice from me. I think I'm going to open a store. All right. Well, appreciate it. Thanks for joining. We'll, uh, yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, we, we'll see everybody next well, time. Then.